Welcome to Brain Fuel Podcast, where we give you the good, the bad, and the ugly in life and business. Hey folks, hope you're all well and staying safe. Just like to say a massive thanks to everyone who listens regular, or if you've been a one-off listener to a specific guest, um, we've absolutely smashed over the three and a half thousand listen mark, um, and we're only eight shows in, so thanks very much. I started this podcast as a hobby, just to share my knowledge and my guest knowledge on life and business and help everyone um, continue and do what they're doing and benefit from it. So thanks very much to everyone who listens regular. Today in the podcast, I have an absolute character of a guy um, from leaving the classroom to selling dogs to being fired by Lord Sugar in the boardroom, um, lost, lost everything that he had um, and is now back smashing it with five businesses in four different countries and is taking the property game by storm. Um, let's get to it. Get to it. Here from the one and only, the apprentice candidate in 2013, Z Shah. Z, welcome onto the podcast. How are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How's lockdown treating you? Yeah, it's been good. It's been inter- it's been interesting. I mean, it's uh, obviously it's a, it's a sad situation, Corona, and you know, so many people have lost their lives. But I think you've just got to uh, find the best in every situation. And yeah. I think I, I've uh, managed to use my time collectively. Yeah, um, and how's the property industry for you in this this time? Are you managing to do any deals or anything? There's some good deals around, so we're yeah. shopping right now. You know, we're looking around, we're looking for deals. There is some good stuff about. Yeah, good. There's opportunities coming. Yeah, let's take it back then. So, young guy lived in Pakistan. Is that right? Well, I was born in the UK. Right. Okay. And I moved to Pakistan. My family moved to Pakistan when I was about eight years old. Okay. And I lived there from when I was eight until 19. So basically, I grew up my formative years I spent over there. Okay. And yeah, what brought you back to the UK then? I came back for university. Right. Yeah, which uh, didn't go to plan. <laughs> uh, yeah, did, did about a year of that. And then, then I moved out to Dubai and I was in Spain for a bit. Yeah. So yeah. I spent after university, sort of 2000, 2006, I think it was, I left university. I spent about three, four years between the UK, Dubai, and Spain. And then 2010, I settled in London. Yeah. And when you were in Dubai, were you always doing property? Yes. Yeah. 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 How is it over there? So somewhere I've never been, but I've always wanted to go. Oh, the market was fantastic. Dubai's property market was, was at that time, it was booming. And I came straight out of university. Um, you know, at university, I used to do small ventures as well, like in terms of promoting some parties and stuff like that yeah uh, um, and anyway so when i came out of university uh while i was at university you know you used to live in the student life living on a couple of hundred quid a week then all of a sudden i've gone to dubai and uh you know i was a good salesman uh selling properties you know making 10 20 grand a month yeah. so i'm like 19 20 years old making you know 10 20 grand a month and i'm like wow what is everything going on about the life's difficult, life's so hard, making money's hard. I'm fucking killing it. I'm amazing, right? <laughs> um, and then, you know, I thought this is never going to end. I thought, wow, this is it, man. What's everyone going on about, you know? Yeah. All your life, you grow up hearing your parents, you know, that your parents give you their own preconceived um, sort of, what's the word for it? Their own preconceived mindset, let's say, about money, about finance, about jobs, etc. 
And, uh, you know, my parents had always told me, oh, it's hard to make money. You have to work so hard, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what the hell, man? This is piss. What are you complaining <laughs> about all your lives? Was your uh, family quite entrepreneurial? Um, one of my uncles is an entrepreneur. Right, okay. Um, my father was uh, very successful in his career as a, but as a, as a professional, he was in the insurance industry and he, right, okay. he, was, he, he headed up, a, he was a head of sales, sales director for a large insurance group. Right, okay. So he was successful in his own right. Yep. Uh, but I think within my direct family, I'm the first who sort of took that entrepreneurial jump. Yeah. And you mentioned university. What did you do there? What did you study? Uh, economics and finance. Right, okay. Yeah. Did you enjoy uh, it? That last one, I, I think I attended probably about maybe, maybe one lecture or two lectures in the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to pick the box. <laughs> university was fun though. <laughs> so what age did you start getting into business young i think that, so what i when i was when i my first business experience that i can remember was probably when i was about 12 years old right okay right so i wanted to buy uh, i loved dogs back then right right okay. and i wanted to buy uh, a pit bull right right um and the pit bull probably cost about a couple of hundred quid. This is in Pakistan, right? Oh, yeah. the, back, the dogs are imported. Well, even over here, I mean, dogs are expensive, right? Yeah, yeah. At that time, a couple of hundred quid was a lot of money. And uh, so I was like, I want to buy these dogs. And my parents said no. So I was like, shit, man, what do I do now? So anyways, uh, I had a, we had a family dog, which was a, which was a female, yeah, right? Yeah. And... Um, I found within our neighborhood, somebody else had a, had a uh, male of the same dog. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I went over to theirs and, and tried to pitch, you know, let's get these two mating, right? And, and get some puppies going over here. And uh, they, they weren't having none of it. I don't know why, they, had, they literally had some problem with their, with their dog getting with my dog. <laughs> so uh, over there, people have staff at home, oh, right? Yeah. So, the, so the, 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 the owners went away on holiday. And the, the domestic staff that was there, I became, I piled up with him. And I told him, look, man, let's get these two mating. Let's get it going. So he said, oh, and, you know, if my owners find out, they're going to get really angry and all this other. Mate, don't worry about it. How are they going to find out? They've gone to the U.S. for three months. Right. Right. <laughs> this is all going to take, this is going to take about an hour's time, mate. Right. Anyways, I convinced him. He got on it, got her pregnant, brought her back to the house. I think whatever, however many months later, she's given the puppies. And I'm like, yes, result. Now I sell these puppies yeah. and I go and buy the pit bulls. Right. So now what happens is that after all of this fucking wheeling and dealing and convincing, the, the, making mates with the, the, the domestic helper and getting them to get them to mate and then the rest of it and having these puppies delivered, I've got three siblings, two sisters and a brother. All of a sudden, once the puppies have come out and they found out my plan, they've all put their claim in. <laughs> They're like, well, this is the, you know, this is our dog as well, right? Yeah, yeah. It's puppies. We all want our share. Well, you guys are fucking nuts. I was like, you know what I've been through to get these puppies, right? <laughs> anyway, I, I can't remember how much I ended up having to give them, but it had to, uh, we had to negotiate. I had to get my parents involved. Uh, and we did some, some form of an agreement at the end. Uh, and then I put, the, I put the puppies up in a local newspaper for sale, got them all sold within a couple of weeks, got the cash in my hand. And uh, went and bought the two pit bulls, male and a female. 
Yeah. So I think that was my first experience. And it, and it was actually within that experience, there was a whole lot of entrepreneurship that I learned because I, I had to find out that, you know, the deal looked pretty simple in the beginning. Yep. I, had the, I had the female, some neighbor had the male, let's mate them. But it didn't actually happen how I wanted it to happen. Yeah. They didn't want to mate it. Then I had to wait for them to go away and convince somebody else and kind of slot my female dog in there, yeah. right? Play that whole game. Then after that, last minute, something else went wrong. Siblings have jumped in, all want their 25% share each. Oh, yeah. Had to fight them off, <laughs> had to sell the dogs, la la. So it was a little preview of business all in all at 12 yeah. years old. And I think that was, I think that probably, that ex- I don't know uh, if my parents remember it or not. I should actually ask them. But I think that probably shocked them because for, for parents, I think when they, like, they told me, look, you can't buy it. You can't have the dogs. They're too yeah. expensive. We're not buying you them. Um, that usually is the end of the road for a kid. Yeah. But when the kid doesn't <laughs> take some like some nine month view on the whole thing and goes get the dog mated and say I'm gonna mate them and puppies and sell them and they must be like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? <laughs> and was when you went into business properly, was property the first thing you went into or was well, there I, something then before? Properly, then I properly went into the dog business. Oh right, okay. Yeah, so it, it's it's actually uh, a bit of a uh, probably, you know, morally not the right thing to do. But what I used to do was I used to go through the newspapers every week yep. and I would see, I would look at, I knew what, how much the dogs would cost. Yeah. And I'd be looking at, you know, a lot of people used to be moving abroad, right? Yeah. So they're yeah. moving abroad and they'd be like, you know, we just want a nice, <laughs> this is so terrible. I've never told anybody this. <laughs> we were like, they put the advert up, they were looking for a nice home for our dog, blah, 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 right? And they'd be giving away the cheap or for free. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd turn up there, smooth them out of their dog, and then <laughs> sell it the next week. So sometimes they're picking a dog up for free on one weekend and selling it for like a hundred pounds the next weekend. Wow. <laughs> so you were bossing at a young age selling dogs, eh? <laughs> selling dogs and then what happened was that what that like my my space got filled up and i just had too many dogs my yeah. house began with the garden was full of different dogs That's and my parents were like what the hell you can't do this anymore so then one of my parents like a, my mom's cousin her husband right yep. he had a massive garden so i spoke to him and i said look man i'm gonna just like start shifting some dogs to yours because yeah. i'm getting more dogs coming in so I started putting dogs at his house and then I'd go on the weekend, pick the dog up, shift it to somebody else. Oh, it was a full operation of dogs back and forth. <laughs> so then what, what did you move into after that? Um, after the dogs were done, um, it was then after that, the next sort of thing was, um, well, I was, a, I was a big rebel. So I, I got kicked out of like four different schools. Right, okay. I was a complete trouble causer, absolute trouble causer. For any reason um, at all, just not interested or? Oh, just, um, just I think what, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. when, when, when we moved from the, I was a really good student. And then when we moved from England to Pakistan, it was a completely different education system. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, um, so everybody wants to be good at something, yeah. right? I just took the rebel path. I was like, right, if I can't be good at education, which I used to be, I used to be like, you know, the best in my class, the like yeah. sharpest kid. All of a sudden you go over there, it's all different. The format's different. The subjects are different. Um, Urdu is the local language. I couldn't even speak it. 
you had a subject which is Urdu, you had, a, the, you had all, you had various, the geography was about there, the history was about there, yeah. all this stuff that I didn't know. Yeah. So I that got off tracks and I just went on the rebel trail. Yeah. And then when I was about 16, um, because I was so much of a trouble causer, my parents sent me back to England for right. a year and I stayed with my auntie. Okay. So uh, while I was here for a year, that's when I, then, then I got a job. I was, I was uh, working at a local restaurant and even there I used to get my charm on. I used to, I, and I was a waiter, but I used to get the most tips out of everyone. Literally, if everyone else would get like, let's say 15 quid a night, I would be getting like 100 pounds a night. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you went back to Pakistan. Went and... back to Pakistan, did my A-levels, then came back for university. Right, okay. When I came back for university, that's when I started promoting uh, club nights. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what did you move into after that? Property. So when I left university, I had a load of friends out in Dubai, making loads of money, telling me about it. And I just went out there for thought, right, you've literally just, I remember it's a funny story because it was me and one of my friends, right? Yeah. And this just shows you how much, like, how important taking action is in life and yeah. making moves. Yeah. So me and one of my friends, um, I found this opportunity in Dubai. I told my friend about it, right? I was like, look, my friends are making money out in Dubai. I'm going to go out there and, you know, get a job in real estate, start selling it. And there's an yep. X amount of money to be made. And, and he was a couple of years older than me. And he'd already been working in sales for like three, four years. Okay. This is in my hometown of Doncaster. Yeah. Right. It was a summer holidays from university. And he'd already been working in sales for three, four years. Right. And I was like, look, come out with me. Let's go. And let's go and do this Dubai property thing. He was yeah. like, yeah, sure, man, I'm up for it, blah, blah, blah. And it was us two, we made the pack together, like, let's go. Anyway, so I'm like, right, I got some money together, packed my suitcase, booked my flights, and I went to him, I said, look, I'm, this is like five, six days later, I'm, all, I'm like leaving to go. I'm like, look, right, this is the date I'm booked, I'm going. He's like, all right, okay, no worries, just literally next weekend, I'm coming. Okay. Right? I went off. Boom, no money in my pocket, no nothing. Just knew I've got a few friends out there. They're making money. I'll go and do something, yeah. right? Um, I went and crashed at a friend's place as soon as I got there. This guy's like, right, I'm coming a week behind you. 15 years later, he's still there in Doncaster. Wow. You've been there and back. Yeah. I've been there, back, went from there, moved to Spain, then moved back to Dubai, met all sorts of crazy people, done all sorts of crazy things, you know? Now here in London, got, you know, three and a half thousand properties under development right now. You know, there's all got, got businesses in four different countries, got offices in five different countries. You know, yeah. it just shows you that the taking action, yep. you know, you don't have to know everything. Everything doesn't have to be perfect, but just, just moving forward, just yeah. keep on moving forward. Right where it can get you. Yeah, because it gets you further ahead than where you were yesterday. Even yeah. just that one step, two step. So what brought you to go on to The Apprentice then in 2013? Awesome. Very bad advice from a family member. <laughs> one, of, one of my cousins called me and said, oh, bro, you would do amazing. You'd win The Apprentice. Go on there. Yeah. What shit advice was that, eh? Yeah. I, applied, <laughs> I applied and got to the last 100 in 2010. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I had to go down to London and do the final pitch to, and never got through after that. Um, yeah. So I'm probably quite glad I never, but you know, it, it propels you to a different level. So wh when you were on there, how did you find it? 
It was a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun experience. Sorry? Did you meet some good characters? Yeah, everyone, look, all the characters in there are all large in life. You know, everyone's a character. Yeah. So it's an interesting dynamic of people. And what, at what stage, because I know that doing all the um, interviews, I never met Lord Sugar or anybody. It was all yeah. the, the production team. Um, what stage in, the, in the, you know, the cycle did you start to meet Lord Sugar and all these people? The first boardroom. The very first one. Right the on. first boardroom, the one they're watching your TV. Yeah. When, when you literally, the, that they're showing the candidates meet Lord Sugar, that's where we met him. Yeah. In that boardroom setting. We went into the boardroom. And he walked in. Wow. And what did you think to yourself? Look, this is fucking surreal, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the fucking exact room, the fucking table. Karen sat there, you know, and then, yeah, very surreal. And um, is he as nice a guy on there as he come, makes you sell out to be? Um, or is he ruthless? He's exactly what you see on TV. Right, okay. On the show. Yeah. yeah. He's pretty straight to the point, you know. He's he's not he's a no bullshit guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you and him had a little altercation, did you not? No, I don't think so. No, no. He quite liked me. We got along. We were alright right with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And how did it feel like to say, "Z, you're fired"? Oh, that was that was that was devastating. Yeah. It was devastating. Genuinely, it was devastating. Um, because it was it was like. I made some mistakes in, in the game that I played. So there was one guy who I didn't bring back. Okay. And he made a mistake on the episode. Yep. Right? And I didn't bring him back. Uh, I probably should have brought him back and he would have got fired. Because I'm not just saying it, but even like out of all the candidates, I was one of the strongest candidates there. Even right. in terms of, not in terms of business. It's, it's, a, it's a TV show, right? Yeah. Business is separate, TV is separate. So when I'm saying I was one of the strongest candidates, I mean in the sphere of the TV show. Yeah. Right? I, w I would have gone, like, a long way, right? Yeah. Uh, but I made that mistake there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, once you finished the show, what, what was it like for you leaving the show? Did it propel you on to the next level? Because you had that power behind you of, I've been on the boardroom, I've been on The Apprentice. Um... I don't know. I, I can't really say, to be honest. I mean, look, it, I, I, was, I was famous for about three months. Yeah. Uh, you know, loads of teenagers were caught to me after <laughs> selfies. <laughs> the, the thing you realize about it is um, that basically all the people who watch these shows, it's all kids. Yeah. Right? Your majority of the people who watch the show really buy into people and, you know, want to connect with them and follow them, etc. They're all teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very few people who actually reach out to you are like, you know, adults or business people, etc. Yeah. So you mentioned there about the, the property and being in all different countries. Take me through that journey because I'm, I'm a property guy myself. So I'm really, really into, yeah, yeah. Used to have a letting agency I'm up in Edinburgh. That's where I am. Um, yeah. I sold that in 2015. So um, I do a wee bit of property developing, flipping, and nice. you know, stuff like that. So I, I love property. So let, let's have a good chat about the property side. How did you get into that from after the apprentice getting into all these different countries? Um, well, it was just, uh, I mean, at the moment we've got about 3,000 homes under construction okay. in one particular location in Pakistan. Okay. Um, and that was, China's investing a huge amount of money into Pakistan. It's about $62 billion they're investing into Pakistan. Right. Um, 
they're basically connecting their Western China is landlocked, but it's got a border with Pakistan. So they're doing a rail and road network from the Western province in China, it's called Xinjiang, Xinjiang. The city is called Kashgar, connecting that down to a port in the southwest corner of Pakistan by the name of Gwadar. Now, basically, uh, Gwadar is, um, has been leased by China from Pakistan for a period of 42 years. It's been designated a special economic zone, so it's a tax-free zone. Okay. It's one of the deepest natural deep-sea port, deep ports in the world. It's about 300 miles straight line distance from Dubai, right at the opening of the Strait of Hormuz, which is the world's busiest oil shipping lane. Okay. Now, China imports about 80% of its oil from that region that goes through the Strait of Hormuz, and it goes all the way down past Pakistan, past India, all the way around through the Straits of Malacca, where Singapore is, and then go up all the way to Tianjin port and the Shenzhen, etc., the Chinese ports. That route's about 13,000 kilometers. Okay. The route they're now creating through Gwadar port is about 2,000 kilometers. Right, okay. It saves them about 85% in shipping and shipping distance times. Yeah. So that was announced and I was like, right, okay, this sounds absolutely amazing. Um, went out there to make some investments for myself, but the way the local property developers were operating just didn't make me feel comfortable. Right, okay. right? And I was like, look, someone as me, like an entrepreneur, a risk taker, if I'm not feeling comfortable with this, there's got to be thousands of people, tens of thousands of people like me out there in the world who have read about Gawadar, who know about it. It's, it's, all, it's all in the Financial Times, it's in CNBC, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. It's global news. And I'm like, there must be so many people who want to make an investment. But when they approach these local developers and local agents, they can't make heads or tails of what the fuck's going on. Yeah. So I thought, right, okay, why don't I solve my own problem? I want to make an investment and I can't do it securely. Why don't I do it, solve my own problem and solve it for everybody else at the same time? And that's how we got into developing properties over there. Ah, right, okay. And what about We're also the largest sellers of Dubai property in the UK. Okay. So we don't actually develop in Dubai, but we help people from over here. It's one of my other companies, One Investments. We help people from the UK, about four to 500 uh, buyers every year. We help them buy a holiday home in Dubai. Right, okay. And in the UK, we do a whole mix of things. Investment, development, uh, sales. We do a lot of sort of, again, through One Investments, we do a lot of um, sort of brokering of deals in Prime Central London. Yeah. And then got my personal investments that I make over here, which is mainly in the northwest around manchester student property um residential commercial a whole mix of things yeah and how is a student um up in edinburgh here um, we have a large obviously a large student base um and there, there's more and more student accommodation getting developed how is yeah. that for you down where you are um, i mean your investments student property is a great sector for the first time because of COVID, there's been a bit of a hiccup in the sector. Yep. Um, I mean, before this, it was seen as a relatively bulletproof sector. Yeah. A recession would come, student numbers would go up, right? And occupancy and student accommodation would go up. So it's like literally a recession comes and this sector starts performing even better. Yeah. So it's like a bulletproof sector. Um, your rents are paid sort of three times a year. Um, they're basically paid by the government because the government gives loans to students and students pay your rent, students pay the rent. But the first thing a student does as soon as they get their loan is they pay their tuition fees and they pay their rent, right? Yeah. So it's very secure, the income stream is as well. 
Um, but I think obviously you've got a temporary setback now with COVID, but this has taken all industries by surprise. Yeah. I still think student uh, in the, for the medium and long term is a very, very strong asset class. Um, it's evident by the amount of institutional funds that have come into the market now. Uh, they obviously like the great opportunity for developers because the institutions like stabilized asset, they don't want to take on development risk. Yeah. They want to buy, they want a developer to go out, buy the land, build it, stabilize it, show it rent, then sell it off. And um, it's a great model. It's probably something that we're going to be expanding on ourselves, looking at that sort of PRS sector, whether it be student, whether it be young professionals, whether it be middle-aged professionals, or whether it be retirement homes. But PRS is, is uh, my focus in the UK property market in the years to come. Yeah. And um, what's, what's the new normal looking like for you now then? The new normal for me? Yeah. Uh, well, basically, it's, I don't think we've got a new normal yet because, you know, retail's opening now on the 15th. I think when cafes, restaurants, and all these start opening, then we'll see what the new normal is. Yeah. For me, relative, right now, life has simply been, uh, I come to the office every day yep. because no, one, no one's at the office. We just brought people back today, actually. Okay. Before this, everyone was work from home or they were on furlough. Yeah. Office was empty, so I've been coming to the office every day. Uh, apart from that, spending some more time with the kids, with the family. Yeah. What, I see you're a big materialistic guy. What's... Uh, What's the biggest car you've got? Cheeky question, but what's the, what's the biggest car you've had or got? I see you've uh, got a Rolls Royce. Um, yeah, I've, curr I've currently got a, uh, got, I've got a couple of cars right now. The one I drive to today is it's a Dawn. Yeah, Rolls Dawn. Yeah, lovely car. Yeah. Rolls Royce is my favourite car. Yeah. I bought my first Rolls Royce uh, about five, six years ago. Okay. <coughs> it was just before my son was born. And... Um, I brought him home from hospital in it. So I, I got it right before he was born, and then I went to pick him up from home in it. It's a, a little mental thing. Yeah. And see, to, to obviously be able to have a Rolls Royce, you need to work hard, etc. Do you ever get that feeling of, I just want to give up sometimes? Do you ever get like that? No. No. You know, no. starting off in business, a lot of younger people or new people coming into the, the business world, They'll get so far and then they'll get a kick, you know, a kick down and they'll just think, you know, I've got a doubt here and you don't get that. Are you a mindset guy? Do you read a lot of books? No, no, no. Look, I, I do. You know, I had a point in my life, I had quite a few points in my life where, where I thought about giving up. Yeah. Right? And anybody who's starting on the entrepreneurial journey or is anybody who's in their entrepreneurial journey, just remember that failure is a part of the process don't get demotivated by it yeah. right you've got to every time you fail you've got to pick yourself up and come back with more enthusiasm because those failures are what helps you grow every time you fail you should be learning and you should be getting better right yeah. so i had an incident um so i went to dubai and i was making all that money and life was flying right and things yeah. were going amazing and then the Dubai property market crashed, right? Yeah. And I was basically, everything I was making every month, I was spending it all. So if I made 20 grand in a month, I'd spend 22 grand. And that's a, that's a lifestyle I was living. And ultimately at about 20, um, probably about what, 25 years old, I ended up back in my parents' home in Pakistan okay. uh, with no money, right? Nothing to my name, all spent, all done. And I was working on a couple of random things, 
I'd met Floyd Mayweather, the boxer, right, out okay. in Dubai, and he'd come out partying with us a few times and stuff. And I was working with him to bring him over to Dubai to do a fight. And, you know, so I was working on a few bits and they were going places, but they're all these, you know, hocus pocus ventures. You know, it's like me, no experience in boxing, no nothing, managing to bring the biggest star in boxing ever to Dubai and manage to put it all together. It's, it's you know, the, the chances are very slim because yeah. you've got a sweet experience, right? Yeah. So those are the type of massive ventures I was working on. Yes, they were exciting. How realistic were they? God knows. Anyhow, what happened is one day my dad just came to me and said, look, I had enough of this. I've been there about four or five months. I've had uh -huh. enough of this. Um, here's a one-way ticket to London, Yep. right? And here's 500 pounds in cash. Forget that you've got a home. Forget that you've got a family, but you're not welcome back here until you're still on your own two feet, right? Okay. So don't be coming back here thinking, you know, whenever something goes wrong or something falls over, you just turn up back here. Today's podcast is kindly sponsored by lettingcloud.co.uk. So where can people get a hold of you? Um, LinkedIn, socials, anything like that? Yeah, very active on LinkedIn, very active on Instagram. So my, I think my, um, my LinkedIn is Zishan Shah. My Instagram is at Z, which is a Z double E. Yep. Yeah, keep it active on social media. I'm pretty easy. I'm pretty reachable. I like to connect with new people. When people email me, reach out to me, you know, I give it face value. I speak to a lot of different people. Yep. Yeah. Perfect, mate. Appreciate your time. Thanks very much. And it's been a great story. Um, and hopefully when lockdown's over, are you ever up in Edinburgh at all? I've been to Glasgow a few times, not to okay. Edinburgh itself, but hopefully, yeah, why not? We don't like people in Glasgow and Edinburgh, so you need to come really? to Edinburgh. <laughs> um, right. I'll show you some, some of the places in Edinburgh and... Uh, get you around and show you some property nice. and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. Sure. If you get any good opportunities in Edinburgh as well, let me know. I'd love yeah, to see yeah. them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for your time, Z. Um, Pleasure and... speaking with you. Thank you for your time, mate. Today's podcast is kindly sponsored by lettingcloud.co.uk. Sorry. So... He's like, you haven't got a family, you haven't got a home. Until you're still on your own two feet, forget that we exist because you're not welcome back here, yep. right? And uh, anyways, I moved back to London. I moved into this small, uh, some guy, I moved up to an area called, in London called Plasto. This guy had a terrace house, behind his terrace house had a shed. He'd converted that shed into a studio apartment. He was renting it 450 a month. Okay. I had 500 quid. Yep. So I went to him, I said, look, I've got 450. This is your month's rent. I haven't got any deposit. I haven't got anything. This is all I've got. Next month, I'll pay you your next payment of rent. That's all I can do. Nice guy. Said, that's fine. Don't worry. Let me move in. Anyhow, long story cut short, what happens is uh, over the next 18 months, I end up starting my own business. Over the next three years, I end up growing that business, taking up to about 20 people, turning over a couple of million quid a year, went on to The Apprentice. Right. Right. Yep. Went on to The Apprentice. I was away basically for about six weeks from my business. And you're not allowed any phone calls. You're not allowed any outside contact with your, with your parents, family, anybody. You'd have one phone call a week for three minutes, right? Okay. So basically leave your business on its own. So I briefed my senior team. I had to get them signed NDAs, explain to them, look, I'm going on to The Apprentice and this is how it's going to go. And I'm going to be gone for a while. Yep. When I got back, um, 
the day I got back, I went into my office and the, all the senior guys were missing. All I had left was two or three of the really junior guys in the office. And I was like, where the hell is everybody? Yeah. And eventually, during the course of that day, I found out that when I, literally the day I went away, because we were a broker, we were, we were selling properties in Spain, in, in Prague, in different places in Europe. Yep. The, literally the day I'd left, the next day, they'd already planned it. They'd gone to all the developers that I worked with, right? And said to them, look, Z, all these clients are ours. They weren't. They were the company's clients. Yeah, we used yeah. to generate leads and give it to them. Yeah. All these clients are ours. Zishan disappeared. We can't get hold of him. He's not answering his phone. We have no idea where he is. He's just left us all and gone, right? Now, we've got all these clients. There are clients. We don't know what to do with them, Yeah. right? So what they did was they said they took all those clients, right? Put made their own company, moved all those clients to their own company. Got because you get paid, you know, you know the property yeah. market. Yeah, yeah. The broker, you get paid when the deals exchange. Yeah. Complete. He, so they put them all through their own company, got them all start exchanging and completing. So I've come back, and we're probably about six, seven hundred grand in our pipeline of revenue to come out of those deals, and they've taken all of them, right? And I was basically left there with all the liabilities. I'd probably had about 400 grand, three, 400 grand in debt, plus the offices, this, that. And I was like, shitting hell. These are just taking everything. Yeah. At that point, I did sit down and think to myself, I was like, you know, Z, maybe you're just not cut out for it. You yeah. know, maybe you're not good enough for this. You know, maybe you should yeah. just settle and just get a job. Yeah. A real job, as everybody calls it. Yeah, uh, yeah just, just get a good job, you know, get a real job, get a good job, you know, and you can earn good money, you're, you're, you're intelligent, you've got good skills, but you're just not good enough for this. Yeah. I decided, no, you know what, no, I'm going to carry on. And I decided how, I, I looked at it, I said, I've got three options over here, right? First option is, I give up and I go and get a job. Second option is, I pursue these guys, go legal on them, fight a case, get my money from them. And option three is, forget what they did, just block it out of my mind, rebuild it all again, and do it bigger and better than I've ever done it before. Yeah. Learn from my mistakes and do it bigger and better than I've done before. And I said, these two cannot go in tandem. Either I'm gonna, either I'm gonna start over again and forget about those cunts, yeah. or, I'm going to chase them because the two can't go together. Oh, one mindset is I'm moving forward and progressing. And one mindset is I'm holding on to negativity and I'm angry. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping on, I'm ho hoping that one day this court case will get resolved and I'll get my money. Yeah. Now I ultimately decided in that situation that I'm going to leave that six, 700 grand. And I don't, because I just don't want the negativity that goes with it. The money that I'm going to spend chasing it because my effort and mind you focus on that. I'm going to cut it all off. These guys were all at least six, seven years older than me, okay. if not like starting from there. I was 27 at the time, 26. They were like 33, 34 and upwards. I was like, man, if these guys who are so much older than me, they have to bloody steal, learn my business from me. I taught them all. Learn my business from me and steal my business. Yeah. What's the point of chasing them? Let them have it. Watch me. I'm going to go learn from mistakes and build it up bigger and better than ever. Yeah. Where are they today? I think their company lasted about 12 months, which is probably about six, seven hundred grand they stole from me. Yep. Right? That lasted their company about 12 months. And then they all went back to getting jobs. And here I am today. Yeah. It's madness. So it's, those, it's those turning points in life. Those turning points come when 
when you've got, it's like a crossroads. Where do you want to go? You can quit, you can choose negativity, or you can put it all behind you and say, right, I'm going to focus on the positive aspects. Mm. And that is the defining point. That is, the, that, what, that is what defines between a successful entrepreneur or a successful person in any sphere and yeah. the non-successful. They're not giving up. Yeah. And um, just on that one there, do you read any positivity? positivity mindset books or anything like that I, 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 read, I read all the time i think I'm, I'm done with the i'm done with the typical positive mindset books yeah because I, i've read a lot of them in my day don't get me wrong uh, i think one of the first positive mindset books i read was the success principles by jack canfield okay but i'm now a lot of those things are just inbuilt in me yeah, yeah. i already had some of them and i've read more they're already inbuilt in me i don't really need that you know think positive and this that because i already do all those things now it's just yeah. that's that's what i've become now but now I, I, what i enjoy the most now is uh biographies all right okay yeah. the current Business reading, people or just anybody in general um overall overall so mostly business people so right now i'm reading titan titan yeah john d Re john d rockefeller Right. Arguably the richest man in the world ever. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the Steve Jobs biography. That yeah. was brilliant. Uh, I'm also reading uh, Henry Kissinger's book right now, uh, the New World, the World Order. Brilliant book as well. More about geopolitics and and the world and history and the future. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I read different things. And are you into politics yourself? Having been at uni. No, not really. No. No. Not really, no. It's all about uh, ballsy yeah. at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.